with the lesson. Uh, I'm thankful to be here with everybody uh, this morning, this afternoon, whatever it is. Here after the holidays, I feel like right around the middle of November till about right now, everybody's in and out so much. It's like you feel like you haven't really caught everybody in a while. And even still this morning, we're missing some of our own that we'd normally expect here because of holiday travel and things like that. And so, uh, but I'm thankful for that to as enjoyable of a time as that is for us and just like all of us on personal levels to spend time with family, to eat a lot of good food that we now regret eating, uh, to do all those fun things. It's good to kind of get back into our norm and spend time together and be back in our jobs and in our schools and things like that because it really allows us to kind of plug back into the work here. Um, so I'm thankful to see all you guys this, this uh, morning. Matthew chapter 19 is where I want to start. Um, what I wanted to talk about this morning uh, is spiritual family. We spend a lot of time with uh, what we might call our, our earthly family, our moms, our dads, our sisters, our brothers, our crazy aunts and uncles and cousins and grandmas and grandpas and everybody in between, right? The last month or two. And we've all made, you know, we've gone through a lot of effort, probably some of us, to see some of them. Like Summer, uh, Robin and Paulette's daughter, flew down from New Jersey to spend a week or so with her parents. That takes money, especially around the holidays when flights are expensive. That takes effort on her part because I know her job is pretty demanding. Um, we all have similar stories to that, right? We all have times where we've had to drive five hours to South Carolina to spend a week with our family or we're driving three hours back to Alabama or you know some of us are driving to uh, Indiana or wherever you know and it takes a lot of uh, determination especially when you hit the traffic and you start thinking why am I doing this to myself what was I thinking and then you get with family and you realize okay I'm glad I'm here it was good to be here and you reflect back on that time but this morning Spiritual family is really the important thing, isn't it? Um, as much as we value our families, our moms and our dads, and the upbringings that they may have provided for us that were good, maybe we reflect on our childhood and think, you know, my family wasn't everything that it should have been or that I wished it was. But there's still, like, that piece of you that, like, desires family, right? Um, I can look around this room and I see a lot of different relationships with their with earthly families. Um I know my own, I know Kirby's, I know a lot of your families have oddities and quirks in the relationships that exist, if relationships exist at all. And I think it helps us to realize that Jesus knew what he was talking about. Uh, when he talked about people that are disciples are really a disciple's family. Um, so look at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to begin in the verses that James read. I just want to read them again for emphasis. Then Peter said in reply, See, we've left everything and followed you. So he is saying that he's a disciple, right? Matthew chapter 16 would make that claim according to what Peter's saying. So let's pick up there. And so uh, we've left everything and follow you. What then will we have? That's the question. If they've left everything, what do we have then? Verse 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters 
or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. This reading, I think, is an important one in a lot of ways. And it says more than what I'm intending to highlight this morning. So I'm not going to suggest to you that the things that I'm saying about this verse are all that is there. But I want to focus in on this promise that Jesus gives that there is family an even greater family, even numerically as Jesus describes it, in being a disciple than in not being a disciple. Um, I want to read you a couple of quotes um, that I think reflect the, uh, the spectrum of how we can feel about family, right? C.S. Lewis says this, The sun looks down on nothing half so good as a household laughing together over a meal. Some of us are like, yeah, some of my best memories are like the post meal with coffee and we're all chit-chatting and you know, before you know it, two or three hours has passed. And some of, those are some of my best memories is with family doing that. I can think of my family doing that. My mom and her sisters get together and it's a done deal. Like that's, you're just gonna be there for a while, right? But then some of us think something like what George Burns says, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. Right. Some of us relate more to that one where we're like, yeah, I love my family, but I moved to this state for a reason. Right? But hasn't God placed within us a desire for family regardless of how we feel about it? We feel the need for that. Like As annoying as our families may be in certain instances, why do we still drive to see them? Why do we call our mom and our dad? Uh, some of that may be like guilt trips or social pressure or whatever, but Part of it, I think, is God place. Like, you desire something there, right? You desire a relationship there that is inherently different than maybe what your friends offer, right? I think Jesus is hitting at that. When Peter's saying, you know, we've left everything, which is a requirement of being a disciple. You have to be willing to deny yourself, as we talked about. But what then is left, right? Like, this is in the context of the rich young ruler guy, right, who was unwilling to leave everything, And he walks away saddened by what Jesus says when he says, sell your possessions and follow me. Peter's like, we did that. So what's in store for us, right? Like, what what do we have out of this? Isn't that our question a lot of times? When you're considering being a disciple, or even in hindsight, once you become a disciple of Jesus, you kind of in, in an honest moment will say, man, what's really, like, what do I get from this? I feel like I'm losing a lot of stuff, right? I'm losing relationships that I enjoyed. I'm using worldviews that were pleasurable to me. I'm losing preferences that I have. I'm even losing family members, right? I'm losing friends. Jesus is trying to get us to see a promise, and I think it's phrased that way intentionally, is this promise that he makes in verse 28. Sorry, verse 29. Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Depending where you read that, I think the, the passage in Mark says, in this age will receive a hundredfold, and in the age to come eternal life. There's even a delineation between like the present, the now, the experiences of here, and then on top of that, the biggest um, prize, so to speak. The biggest thing that you can receive is the eternal life that Jesus offers. 
And so when I'm talking about spiritual family this morning, I want to think of it in the context that it is a promise that disciples receive other disciples as their new family, right? But also I want to see that there's an aspect to this that like we live up to this promise. We have a role kind of in this promise. If Jesus is saying, as a disciple, you're going to inherit other disciples as family members, I think that inherently places a responsibility on us on some level to be a part of the promise Jesus is offering to others. Um, So I want to talk about that. So first of all, Jesus promises disciples a family, which is reflected here in this text. But also look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Almost all the verses that I'm going to use this morning, at least the main ones, are from Matthew. Um, So just kind of keep that in mind as you're flipping around. We should stay in Matthew for the most part. Matthew chapter 10, look at verse 32. Matthew 10, 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, um, I will uh, acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And of course, this is a parallel text in a lot of ways, because after this he says, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, right? It sounds a lot like what we talked about in our Bible class. It is likely, now I'm going to phrase it that way because it's not always the case. Some of us are fortunate to have family who are also disciples. But it is likely the case that the decision to become a disciple is also deciding to encounter this. Where Jesus brings a sword into your home and separates you from a lot of family members that are not disciples, right? There's inherently this this reaction, this uh, outcome that comes from once you decide that your will is subservient to Jesus's, and in your life your will is like the top dog, right? If your will is subservient to Jesus's, then that means the will of your parents and your brothers and your sisters and your mom. I mean, all that is going to be subservient to that as well. And if they don't recognize Jesus as that authority in their life, I think what Jesus is saying is here, that is going to become, like Jesus is going to offer a sword in your relationships. What often happens with that is there's going to be a lot of pain, right? When you do things that Jesus would would have you to do, when you take up your cross and follow him in certain instances, where it is counter to what normally would be your will, and is counter to what your family would usually want of you, this is what's going to happen. And so Peter's question makes a lot of sense when you consider Matthew 19, right? It's in the context of a lot of stuff when he asks, what then will we have? But this is Matthew 10. Peter has already been a part of this discussion, right? He's, he's also probably thinking, I don't think it'd be unrealistic to think, Peter's also thinking, you know, you've also said in the past that there's going to be a lot of family we lose in this. And he's probably experienced that to some degree, right? Family, friendships. What then will we have? Well, Jesus in Matthew 19 says, The family that you receive 
who are disciples is going to be a hundred times larger than the family that you were given in birth, than the blood connection that you may claim to have, right? So Jesus promises disciples family. This is a legitimate question. When people are confronted with this reality that this is going to hurt relationships, it's going to hurt family members, um, we don't need to sidestep that reality. But I think the best thing that we need to apply in our own hearts and as we are trying to encourage people to become disciples is that Jesus realizes that. And when you ask the question, what then will I have? When you're confronted with, should I be a disciple or not? And that seems like a daunting task to lose your family. Remember Jesus' promise that you will receive a hundredfold brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. Um, I think that's step number one to thinking about our spiritual family is that it is a hundredfold what we had before. Despite whatever it is we may feel we're losing. So an application, do you trust that God will give you family even if it seems impossible? Do you do not let the fear of losing a uh, family hinder you from discipleship? That's kind of an application of this promise of Jesus to me. Is one that I think you could make. All right. So I think another natural connection when we're talking about spiritual family is that what we might call the church, the way the Bible talks about what the church is, that is the family Jesus is speaking of. In Matthew 19, he makes it plain that um, those who do the will of God. Or sorry, Matthew 12, if you want to turn there. Not Matthew 19, Matthew 12. Look in verse 46 for me. Matthew 12, verse 46. And we'll read from 46 down to verse 50. And while he was still speaking to the people, this is Jesus, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. There's a lot of things to learn from this, but I think in our discussion about spiritual family, Jesus is saying those who do the will of God are our family. When you become a disciple, you receive a hundredfold because Jesus has many who are doing his will. And while they may be a small percentage of the world, right, and just numerically, think about how many hundreds or thousands of people around the world that are pursuing the will of God that you can now consider a brother or a mother or a sister or a father. So when you, in your life you're trying to make the decision, am I going to be a disciple? Today am I going to act like a disciple? Don't let the fear of losing family in those relationships hold you back. Jesus has promised you something bigger and better. The church, those who do the will of God, Christians, however you want to phrase that, is the family Jesus is talking about. And when really you begin to, to allow this, this promise of Jesus to kind of sink into your thinking and permeate the way you consider family, you really realize how limiting it really is to think that only the people that I had no choice in being a part of that small group of people is my family. You know, we often consider blood, right? blood relatives. That's a really small and narrow family, right? And I'm not saying it's not a good thing, but it's a small thing, right? And it's really out of my control in a lot of senses. Like some of us were fortunate, and I say fortunate enough, blessed by or however you want to phrase that, 
to have good families. Like you didn't have a say in that. You just happened to be born into a family that cared about you and took care of you and loved you. And some of us didn't. And it wasn't any fault of yours. It's just kind of how it worked out, right? But what Jesus is offering us here is when he says that those who do the will of God are his mother and brothers. And we combine that with what we know from Matthew 19. When I choose to be a disciple of Jesus, I get to choose to have those mothers, those brothers, those sisters. I value the character of Jesus enough to try to wear that in my life. And I'm choosing to have family members that are the same way. That's a big part of being a disciple and knowing that God is going to bless you with a hundredfold family. It should be a family that looks a lot like Jesus. right? And that's an appealing thing, I think, because our families don't always look that way. Our blood families, right? So an application of this text in Matthew 12 might be, do you consider those who do the will of God as your family above your earthly family? Like when you think about family, who are the first people that come to mind? If I'm going to be honest, I think of my parents first. And then probably an outer ring from that is I think about like my aunts and uncles and cousins on my mom's side specifically. And it's nothing against anyone else in my family, but that's just the familiarity there. That's when I think of family, I have the deepest memories, the most emotional connection to that. And that's who I think of. I think Jesus is trying to rewire us by example here to say, When you think about mothers and brothers, once you become a disciple, you should think about the people who do the will of God. Those should be the people that you trigger as family. I should look at Angela. I should look at Blake. When I think of family, their faces should pop up in my mind, right? I should think about people that do the will of God back in my hometown, I should think about the people who do the will of God in other countries maybe that I've had a privilege of visiting. I should think about them as family. That's what Jesus is trying to show us. Lastly, kind of the main thrust of this lesson as far as living up to the promise is when Jesus talks about spiritual family, what that requires of me. One, I feel like that kind of the entry fee of having a spiritual family is being a disciple of Jesus. It's a promise to those. But also I think being a disciple of Jesus means I have a spiritual family, but an interesting way to think about this that I often don't do is I am spiritual family. For someone else, they're going to look at me as maybe a father or a brother, right? And so I need to think, how am I performing as spiritual family? Am I an example of Jesus' promise or am I an aberration to it? Does someone think of me as like, wow, Jesus really fulfilled his promise to me because of Josh? Or man, does Jesus look foolish because of Josh? And a couple of uh, biblical examples of maybe how to approach this is Hebrews chapter 10. If you'd like to look at Hebrews chapter 10 with me, we're going to look at beginning in verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in Hebrews chapter 10 here, one of the things that spiritual family does is they spend time with each other. That's kind of like the fundamental assumption of Hebrews chapter 10. 
And when you look at it, that time together, poor Noah. He's not too happy. Well, pff, now he chills out. He's like, I got what I wanted. <laughs> Gonna go hang out outside. All right, so in Hebrews chapter 10, the assumption is that you're spending time together. It's not, and I don't want to say it's not idle time, that there isn't fun or whatever, but look at what the bulk of these verses is really saying about that time together. In verse 24, there's a consideration of how to stir up one another to love and good works. In fact, I think that's a big part of my responsibility towards spiritual family is that though it doesn't use familiar terminology, mom, dad, sister, brother, in this text, we know that the people that are meeting together, right, are disciples, those who are doing the will of God. And so in this text, we can kind of connect the dots here and say, you know what, when I spend time with family, the family that Jesus has given me, I need to take that opportunity to consider how I can encourage them to be more loving, to do the works that God has designed them to do. Right? In fact, there's kind of another angle to this. Um, you have a positive, and you also have more of a negative, right? In verse 25, don't skip spending time with family. You might look at it that way, right? When the, the hundredfold mothers, brothers, and sisters that Jesus has given you are spending time together. Don't regard that as nothing. Don't forsake it as it says in this text, right? That is the promise of Jesus being fulfilled. And so when you skip out on that, you're depriving yourself of one of the promises of being a disciple. And in this text, in verse 25, it also says, you know, some people have that habit. And when you notice that in the family, uh, I probably am this in, in my family. I'm probably the outsider in my family as far as like valuing time together. My parents sort of are too. And so like my mom's side of the family particularly like really values family time. My parents are slightly less than that. And then inherently because I don't live in the same city as them all, I'm even less than that, right? And they always kind of like, they don't guilt trip me necessarily, but they're always like, Josh, you're only here for so long. Like, how much are we going to see you? You know, you and Kirby are coming to town. That's kind of what's happening in here. Like, it's kind of talking about people like me spiritually, right? That haven't really developed a sense of value to their spiritual family. And so when they meet together, they allow themselves to neglect that, to forsake it. And you can imagine the reasons, right? Like, I'm busy. It's not that big of a deal, yada, yada, yada. But if we really view the hundredfold mother and brother and sisters from G that Jesus talks about as a fulfillment of promise, that it's really erasing an obstacle. What will we have if I become a disciple? And Jesus is saying, look, I'm giving you family. Then we'll be less likely to just say, not a big deal. right? I can skip out on when they spend time together. I think in this text, he's talking about spending time together, maybe as we might call a church, right? Like the, the function of doing worshipy stuff and Bible classy stuff or whatever you want to say. I would expand this to say, when the family is spending time together in general, don't neglect that. Don't forsake that. And I would say that we have a responsibility to fulfill being family, right? Just be that for someone. 
verse 24 of this text, to encourage godliness within each other. Verse 25 of this text, to spend time with one another consistently and purposefully. Right? I struggle with the purposefully part sometimes. Another text, and I'll just read it, but you're welcome to turn there if you prefer that. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2 says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. One of the responsibilities that we have to our family is that we correct them. We understand that with parents and kids most of the time. Maybe we're less and less in kind of society, but we get that. But, you know, there's, we all kind of get this. There's a certain, like, way we operate within family. Like, I talk to my mom a certain way, then I, I talk to my aunt a certain way. I talk to my cousins a different way, a very particular way. Grandma talks to the grandkids a certain way. We all have kind of our way of communicating. And so what God is saying, I think, in 1 Timothy 5 is like, there are going to be times where correction is needed. Rebuke is needed. That's just people. But talk in ways that are fitting with a family relationship. And not so much like maybe a business relationship. Or talk in ways that we might do with a stranger. Right? Talk like that older guy is your dad. Talk with him, that younger woman, like that's your daughter. You're going to have to straighten stuff out. Every family does. But do it in the language, in the terms that you would with your own blood, right? Mom or your daughter or your brother. Um, That's the instruction to Timothy there by the Holy Spirit through Paul. So just some of these things here as we think about spiritual family. It's a promise from God. We need to be encouraging godliness within each other. We need to be spending time intentionally and purposefully together. Finally, from this text in 1 Timothy 5, we discourage sinfulness in uh, like family conversations, you might say it that way. And then uh, kind of an application of that thinking is, do you intentionally spend time with other disciples, those who do God's will throughout the week? If you're not, I know at least in Atlanta, it's not for lack of opportunity. I don't know about other places, but here you have chances to do that. And so maybe you are neglecting or forsaking that. Jesus doesn't want you to neglect his promise. Do you disregard those opportunities? Um, Jesus doesn't want that from you either. So as we move through this lesson, we've had I've had quick little applications along the way, but I want to kind of conclude with some thoughts as far as um, prodding myself individually and this group in very specific ways to think about some things. The church that meets here, uh, in town church or whatever you want to refer to us as, um, is a fulfillment of Jesus' promise for family. It is. Uh, You need to think about it that way. Uh, And I'm not saying that we're perfect, but I'm saying that we are who Jesus was talking about when he said, you know, there's going to be those who do the will of God that you should consider mother and brother and sister. And that's us. So think about us that way. The church that meets here should be thought of as family and should operate like a family. 
I recoil a little bit at the thought of being really close with family. And so that's a tougher one for me. And it's not anything weird. It's just my personality, I think. I'm a little detached that way. But I need to think of this group like that. The church that meets here should be a group that spends time together. And while I appreciate how we spend our Sundays, because I think we spend a decent amount of time together, and I like that, we should be making efforts to do more of that kind of stuff. Um, And so hopefully we would take that seriously. The church that meets here should be a group that encourages each other. And I feel like a lot of us are really good at that, and we should continue to be that way. The church that meets here should be a group that discourages sin. That's a little tougher sometimes to figure out how to do. You don't want to hurt someone's feelings. But I guarantee you, if you do what Paul told Timothy and you talk to people in the way that you might talk to a similar family member to where they are in life, you're going to fulfill that command. You're not always going to win that person because Satan does his work and they have their free will and things, but you'll have done exactly what Paul was writing to Timothy about and trying to discourage their sin. And so the question is, the church should be those things that I mentioned. So take the same questions and say, do I, right? Do you view this group as a fulfillment of God's promise, Jesus' promise? Do you think of this group as a family? Do you operate as part of this family? Do you uh, spend time with this family? Do you encourage people that are a part of this family do you discourage sin in the lives of this family the family members Um, hopefully this lesson is just helpful because we've all been spending time with family recently hopefully you'd start to think more about being a disciple and the promise that jesus wants to give you more family than you've ever had the question is are you a disciple yourself and if you are Are you regarding and operating within this group like it's your family? Um, Hopefully this is some stuff that you can think about. It's relatable since we've all been spending time with our moms and our dads and our brothers and sisters recently. Um, I know Jesus wants us to be fulfilled in his word and in his promises, and I think this is one area that Jesus makes it pretty plain that he's making a promise to those who follow him that we can have family. And so hopefully we'll take our responsibilities and that promise seriously. There's anyone that needs to make changes in their life on a personal level as far as being one who does the will of God, I'd encourage you to make that change. Um, I don't want Jesus to see any of us as someone he doesn't know. And then ultimately, probably for most of us here, if you see a weakness in your faith regarding the promise of Jesus about family, in your responsibilities, maybe you've slacked off in those towards us as a family member. Um, repent of that. Let us know how we can help you because we want to be um, a close-knit family and not one of those families that when you go visit, you feel awkward the whole time, right? We all have had that experience probably. So think about those things. And uh, while Richard's leading us in a song, if you have a need, let us know.